Rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome to another episode of Rumors of Grace. This is Bob Hutchins, and I'm talking today with Jamal Javanji. You're going to meet him in a second here. But before uh, we start our conversation, I want to give you just a brief background on Jamal uh, and who he is, what he's doing right now. So Jamal is a best-selling author. He's a podcaster. He's one of the co-hosts on the Heretic Happy Hour. For those of you who are fans of that show, that's how I first came, uh, was aware of of Jamal and and his books and his writings. He also has his own podcast, which we'll talk about as well. So he's a podcaster. Uh, He also does life coaching. Uh, He's a former pastor. We'll talk about that. And he has a passion for helping individuals, couples, uh, and communities uh, to become free to love and become who they, who they are and who they're meant to be. He, by helping to identify and clear systems of belief that create fear, disharmony, and disease, Jamal seeks to restore awareness of the ever-present and unitive divine flow of abundance, goodwill, and love that exists for all physically, mentally, and spiritually. Jamal, I'm excited about this conversation. Welcome to Rumors of Grace. Oh gosh, Bob, thank you so much for having me. It's just an honor to be on your podcast and to and to talk about uh, what we're going to get into. It's my favorite. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I know you're out on the you're on the West Coast in California today. I am. That's where I live. I live in Southern California, which is in um, a little city called Crestline, which is a little mountain community, probably about an hour and a half east of Los Angeles in the San Bernardino Mountain area so it's beautiful up here and yes that's where i am good for you well um i i loved your latest book living for a living and what i one of the things i loved about it and i guess maybe was a catalyst for me to reach out and connect and start this conversation was you gave a really good background and history uh of your life and your family and your upbringing and i felt like it really helped me to understand who you are and kind of where you came from. So it put the content of the book in a much different uh, framework and perspective for me. So for those of you listening and who haven't read Living for a Living, I, I advise you to go and pick it up. It's a great book. But can you give, give listeners just kind of a brief overview of who is, who is Jamal, where he came from, where he grew up, who were his parents, and kind of, kind of set the table for our discussion today? Of course, yeah. <clears throat> well, I, 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 like all of us, you know, all of our stories are shaped by our parents. And for for me, you know, my parents played a huge role in um, my outlook on life and just the things I've struggled with. And uh, so for my dad, um, he grew up. He's actually heritage wise from India, but he grew up in East Africa. So a lot of folks from India, because uh, it was all a British system. You know, it's British colonies. You know, going back a couple hundred years. So India was ruled by the British. Lots of East Africa was ruled by the, by the British. And so my dad's family migrated from a state in India called Gujarat um, a couple generations ago and migrated to. Um, to Zanzibar, which is on the east coast of Africa. It's now part of Tanzania. But that's where my dad grew up, in that island of Zanzibar. And um, and he was a very devout Muslim, and uh, that's, that's, that's my family's heritage on my dad's side. My mom, on the other hand, 
um, grew up in southeastern Ohio, kind of the foothills of the Appalachians. Uh, her relatives are from West Virginia, um, and uh, my mom is, you know, very um, would be would be somebody that would be your your typical small town American woman, you know, who grew up with very simple values and kind of grew up on the farm and. Um, but I, the one thing that they both had in common, I would say they're both very spiritual, like spiritual seekers mm. and had very difficult backgrounds growing up economically, specifically, and in, in a lot of areas. So um, my mom gravitated to Catholicism when she um, when she came into adulthood. She actually considered becoming a nun. She was a very devout uh, Catholic. It still is very devout Catholic. And my dad, um, you know, his family was like 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 most Muslims, you know, very committed to practicing their faith. But my dad was very, he really gravitated uh, and and embraced Islam um, very strongly for a sense of certainty. And so he carried that with him. And, um, and I grew up in that, in in that, in that kind of a backdrop. So my, my parents were um, actually, my dad lived, obviously he was living on the East, East coast of Africa and my mom living in Ohio. So people like, well, how in the world, did they get together? Do those two worlds kind of merge? Well, they were pen pals, and uh, they both wrote to each other and belonged to the same international organization, and they wrote to each other for about six years and exchanged letters. And um, my dad was in a very difficult situation politically. Uh, the, the, the the island of Zanzibar had become independent of England, so they became their own like, you know, nation state for about a year. And then they were forcibly annexed to Tanzania, and there was a lot of tension, a lot of racial backlash, uh, a lot of Indians and Arabs had settled. Um, Zanzibar was ruled by a sultan at one point, and there was just such animosity because some of those folks had benefited from the colonial system. So a lot of the uh, the native African people were just, re- you know, had a lot of resentment towards that. So uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of killing, and uh, there, my dad's family felt unsafe, and they felt like they had to leave Zanzibar. So they ended up migrating to Kenya, Mombasa, Kenya, where, it's, where he settled as an adult, but really wasn't a citizen, had no prospects, uh, was pretty destitute, didn't know what how he was going to take care of his family. His parents were aging at that point. So his ticket was, I got to write, I, you know, I'm writing to this American woman. I'm just going to propose in a letter they've never met. And he did. So he proposed to her in this letter, and she accepted. And, and he made his way to the United States. and that gave uh me uh existence in this space and time and <laughs> here wow, and I have an, old, have an older brother yeah it's it's incredible it's it's very very incredible story but i i kind of inherited both of their worlds you know as a child both of their outlooks on life and i talk about that in the book and you know i recently heard um somebody talk about like in, 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 again i'm not i don't come from a jewish background but this man was talking about um some of the Jewish midrash kind of ideas of what it means to honor your mother and father really kind of, if you can boil it down to it, it, it's the best way you can honor your mother and father is by rising above the challenges that they faced and breaking free of their struggle. And I really love that. When I heard that, I thought that's exactly the story of my life. Um, and that's beautiful. I love that. It's it's incredible, and I think that's what this book's about. My my book, Living for a Living, is about moving into um, an economy where survival is not the number one um, aim, and that was really the struggle of. It's the struggle of the world, but more particularly, it's been the struggle of my family lineage. Mm. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, because uh, your book, uh, which I love, is kind of like one part 
autobiography, one part kind of motivational life coaching stuff, and then one part like spiritual Christian deconstruction, which it, <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting combination because it really speaks to the heart of of so many of us and what we've gone through growing up as American evangelicals, so many of us in this country. And yet we're, we're, we come to different parts of our life when we're going, well, wait a second, things aren't lining up or you start to question what's going on in the country and what it means to your faith. And you start to question things that you hear at church because of something else. Talk a little bit about your journey. This is more than just Hey, I, my dad comes from another country, so it gave me a unique perspective on life. I think there's something much deeper going on here. What was the motivation for the book? Well, that's a that's a great question, and yes, it is it it is much more than just my own journey. I do believe it, and and the and again, like I, I'm a one of the co-hosts on the Heritage Happy Hour, and one of the things that we do in that podcast is help speak to you know issues of spiritual deconstruction and reconstruction i do believe personally that jesus so here's the thing as an evangelical i eventually became an evangelical and the message of even of, of typical evangelical christianity has it's predominantly about later about the afterlife about heaven and hell after you die and so this whole idea of the message of jesus is centered around where will you go and spend eternity? When you die, will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? And I've just discovered that that actually has nothing to do with Jesus' message. I know that right. sounds crazy to some people, it's like, but they're like, no, that's actually not what he talked about. Um, and the central message of Jesus, I do believe um, that Jesus came to rescue people from perishing and from suffering and from the wide, you know, he even talked about the why there's the, the path that leads to destruction and many go down that road and the path that leads to Salvation, which means life, is narrow. If you find it, and so Jesus came to speak to this, to, to, to actually, mm. I believe, to illuminate the 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 realm of this kingdom called heaven, and and to help people discover that. But I don't think it is predominantly concerned with the afterlife as much as its 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 application is today is right here and right now. And I just realized as an evangelical Christian that most of my life. The message of Jesus that I was taught through the evangelical grid really had enough, had very little to do with my experience in day-to-day -day life. And I actually so I was rereading the, the scriptures, uh, you know, and um, as I was reading the gospels, I'm, I was struck by this, um, the, the, the way Jesus' ministry started, and it was predominantly started with he spoke to the very issue that, that occupies people's lives, and that is the economy. And so in Matthew 6, he said, okay, I mean, it was amazing. Started off with this message. Okay, look at the world. He was talking to his disciples. He said, okay, just observe the way people operate. They're concerned with um, what are they going to eat? What are they going to wear? Just basically necessities of daily life. This is the engine of the economy. How do you put food on the table? How do you pay the bills? This, the, the energy and the focus and the resources it takes to focus on all of those things. I mean, you'll spend your whole life doing that. And then, but Jesus asked a fundamental question. This is actually a question I was asking as a child, looking at my mom and dad and struggling to make ends meet and worried about finances and all this. And I just had this thought, like, really? I was like, is that why, like, is that why we're here? Is that the purpose? And then Jesus spoke right to that concern. Matthew 6, he says, is life not more than food or clothing? 
It's mm-hmm. an unbelievable question. Isn't life about something more than survival? And, and the reason I think he spoke to that is because this is the hell that people people are suffering in the sense of that they're literally wasting the only life they have trying to survive. But that's the message we're given. We're taught from early early on. This is your purpose in life is to. I mean, you you really have to figure out what you're going to do. And by by you know when you grow up, what are you going to do? It's all about survival, paying the bill making money and again granted i know we need all those things but that's not the aim of life and so um it really spoke to me and i and, and so a lot of the book is is to unpack that and say wow so if the if the engine of the economy so to speak is not about eating and you know shelter and food and, clo- and clothing and all these things and what is it really about and jesus addressed that he said okay you know, look at the world. And I've traveled. I've had the opportunity to travel most places in the world. And I've been to extremely impoverished places. I've been to places where there's plenty. And the, it's the same. It's the same engine of the, no matter where, no matter if it's third world or first world, the engine of the economy is all about wealth acquisition so that you can survive. And I believe Jesus is offering us in a completely new way to, to be human, to live, to actually to opt out of that economy into a whole other economy. So when he's talking to the disciples, he says, okay, recognize this is the way the world works, but it shall not be so with you. Mm. For you guys, you seek first the kingdom of God and everything you need, which by the way, God knows everything you need. There's not once bird is going, everything that happens to them, like God is aware of this. So God is aware of everything you need. But if you just seek first this new reality, everything you need will actually come to you. And of course people, you know, that gets you know clouded in religious thoughts. So what is this kingdom of God? And Jesus was very clear. It's like, it's, it's actually not something you lack. It's nothing on the outside. You know, that he was speaking to Jewish people who were waiting right. for this Messiah to come to bring this new kingdom from the outside. And Jesus was like, okay, look, I'm the Messiah. And I'm here to tell you that's the thing you've been waiting for. You already have the it's kingdom you, right? of heaven is within you. Yes. And that was, that was actually very misunderstood and not, and not known. And so it's a, it's a literal reorient because we've been so focused in practical everyday life on waiting from some external situation to change um, that we've missed the very thing that we've had it the whole time, which is this kingdom, this realm, which is internal. And we actually believe that you only find it at the core of your being. So it's a, it's a, it's a redirection, a refocus, but it's the concern of everyday practical reality of how do I pay the bills that distracts us from that. Interesting. um, It's interesting. mm -hmm. You know, and, and you know, the, the thing about it is, you're right. Jesus talked about this so much, but yet in the church, there's like only two camps, it seems, that, mm-hmm. you know, the one camp is you hear, well, the world's going to get worse before it gets better, and <laughs> Jesus is going to come and take us, rapture us all the way, so don't love the world or anything of it because it's evil and it's going to get worse day by day. And you begin to see and interpret the world through those eyes. Um, you really see evil all around you when actually we live in the, I believe, uh, the best time to be alive as far as what's going on in the world, as far as our health, as far as our economy, as far as fewer diseases, as far as opportunities for everybody, and uh, no matter where you are and who you are. Um, and certainly there are exceptions to that in certain parts of the world. So I, I certainly realize that. However, um, so there's that camp that says, 
you know, God, God's going to come destroy it all and the world is evil. But then there's the only other option you have is a, a prosperity doctrine theology that says, well, God, Jesus doesn't want anyone poor. And if just give to this preacher and live this way and you'll be rich. And there's like mm-hmm. there's two extremes. And what you're talking about is something totally different and unique, right? Uh, absolutely, yes, and I, I'm glad you made that distinction. Yeah, there are those two camps, um, and and you'll find some nuggets of truth in both camps. Right. This is what makes them attractive to people because there are. It's not like both camps are 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 just completely ignorant, you know, of uh, of what's of, of what's true, what's real, and so like you'll find that, and that's what you know sucks people into those both camps. But I, but I would make a distinction and say, you know, um, the, to the folks that say, oh, you know, the world is just you know, you, you get, we, this is not our home. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, those folks have ignored um, a very central tenet to the heart of Jesus' message, which is let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So it's like there's this realm. And again, people ask, well, where is heaven? And I would say it's within you. But there's a realm internally in our being that can perceive all of us have desires for a better world. All of us have desires that people would, we, you know, when we see people starving, it's, it's extremely, it's disturbing because it's unnatural. It's, right. There's something about that says, this is, this should not be, we should not, when you see children abused, when you see wars and famines and all these things in the world, this is something, this is, this grieves our spirit because it doesn't come from that place of what we can imagine. And so when we hear stories about, you know, even even some stories from Scripture that talk about there will be a day when you know that, that God's kingdom will reign over the earth, and that people will beat their plowshares, their weapons into plowshares, and you know that 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 there will be no more war and all this. This this is like really good news um, to our spirit because I honestly believe that is what is the cry internally of all of us. And so the idea is to take that reality, take that, and to begin to manifest that into the world so to the folks that are just you know and and again the prosperity gospel i think where it gets off a lot of times is that it's still a fun to me it's like a a function of survival it's still a it's still a means to an end of survival so with the prosperity gospels will take some principles um and use it for personal gain to the point of survival versus i honestly believe that we're not here to survive we don't need to that's not a concern that we should have because because every because we don't because we're here right now we're alive everything we need we have, but th- there's a higher there's a higher perspective and that is the perspective of love and of service and healing. Mm-hmm. So, it, the wealth that we have been given is for the purpose of healing the world. It's mm-hmm. for the purpose of 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 bringing people out of suffering, bringing people out of despair, and 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 part of that is. I mean, I think there's many different components to people's poverty. So, I, you know, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I think that there's – so abundant life comes from understanding what's true so that there is no lack in the world, that there is no – we're not rejected. We're not cut off. We're not forsaken by God. These are these are belief systems. So I believe that the message of, of the gospel, of the good news, speaks directly to that to, to relieve people's sufferings. But also manifest in the sense of, well – you know that there is honestly nobody should be there really isn't a reason that people should go hungry today 
it's a it's a problem of consciousness there is enough resources in the world today where people can be fed people can be taken care of and loved and that there was um no reason for this tremendous suffering um so again to the people who are focused on you know playing god like a stock market you know i've heard these prosperity speeches preachers that will go go on and they'll say you know it's all about you know if you give it'll be given back to you this is a spiritual principle that jesus talked about give and it will be given back to you it's the whole thing of uh, sowing and reaping cause and effect this is a true principle but if you're using that for personal gain to survive because you're just trying to make it you know make it make it rich for yourself then we're losing sight of the aim what is the mm. purpose of all of this and that is to love and that is to serve and that is to heal the world so that's where i feel like the prosperity gospel even though they may they may understand some key principles um that they go off because they, they're not governed by the sense of love and service to humanity that's good that's good stuff you know in your book <laughs> i love the quotes that you put at the beginning of each chapter one of them i read yesterday and it just floored me uh, and I keep re- I've read it again this morning. Actually, it's by an uh, author named T. Rapaldi, and I think he works in like childhood psychology and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he says this: When we adults think of children, there is a simple truth which we ignore. Childhood is not preparation for life. Childhood is life. A child isn't get- getting ready to live. A child is living. The child is constantly confronted with the nagging question: What are you going to be? And I love this next part. Courageous would be the youngster who, looking the adult squarely in the face, would say, I'm not going to be anything. I already am. That's, mm. that, that is so, I don't know what, what about that rang true to me, but what, it, what this person is saying, and then you write a whole chapter about it, is you know, we are always looking for something outside of ourselves or what we're going to be when we become or when we get older, rather than, as you said, Jesus is saying, wait a second, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that's where the real activity uh, and the new reality exists and the abundance exists for all of life, regardless of how old you are, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that. I mean, and obviously Jesus, we all know, we've heard what he said, you know, like the kingdom of heaven, like it's, it's, you don't let, you know, don't, don't despise the children. Let them come to me because the kingdom of heaven is, it's for people like this, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, it's for this kind of mindset. And if you look at, there's something we can learn from children and that is children in an ideal situation, obviously children um, are not preoccupied with survival. They just, they have the sense that, okay, I'm fine. You know, they, they, it's not even a concern of theirs. Mom and dad are, 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 are here. They're, they're kind of my support. <laughs> and I'm just here to, to play, to discover, to enjoy life. Um, and that is somehow living. And then, of course, we get to a point, you know, you know where we become uh, wounded and, 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 and the world and the way the world works affects us deeply. Then we're, we're, we're also taught that, you know, the, the world is a place of lack and it's a hard place and you have to get to this point where you can survive. And, and then, of course, it takes us out of this place of, of just of discovery and joy and creativity. You know, children are, 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 are so they're uninhibited and they 
create and they play their imaginations are unbelievable now if you think about i mean i have i have have a lot of friends that are um they're singer songwriters they're artists they're they're you know people who are in the creative industry so to speak they're writers um there's one thing about people in the creative industry and i'll tell you this that it's the concern of money. How you gonna how's, how's this gonna like put food on my table that kills the creative process? It's like, you, you know, you, you may have this inspired thought, and it's really hard to act on that if you're worried about like, well, how will that work? And you know, and, and again, how's that gonna bring money in and all this kind of thing? So, um, the creative process really flourishes when you have time. So when people can have the time mm. to just marinate and sit and ruminate and imagine and, and then and then and then act on that you know brainstorming all these things is creative process um that flows the best this is actually a childlike process children exemplify this perfectly in and when they when they're playing you know they're imagining and creating and all these kinds of things well when you when you come into adulthood if you can get back to that place of of creativity and that comes with rest it comes with profound place of non-anxiety and non-worry about survival this is where the greatest ideas have come from inventions and you know some of the most beautiful uh music has come out of this place some of the most beautiful storylines that heal the world um inventions that that revolutionize the world that obviously end up do you know some of these inventions obviously go on to make money some of these songs actually go out and do well and all these kinds of things so it's not like they don't bring resources in but it's not written from that place um most of them are not written from that place um where where it's all about survival so that's the idea of of becoming a child again is is coming to this place where if we could get free of this anxiety of survival then really what the world needs to come out of its suffering will come from that place of creativity so it's again it's it's one of those catch-22s like you know are there needs practical needs in the world today yes but who will solve those needs it's going to be the people who are profoundly not coming from the place of lack that are going to solve those needs because yeah, they're going to. Yeah, talk talk about that. Let me throw out something and let you riff on it a little bit. Is you know you know we we've all heard these talks about abundance versus an attitude of abundance versus an attitude of lack. Um, and I think you know we've heard it from motivational speakers. We've heard it from Christian speakers on different on different spectrums. We've heard it from different things. Talk talk to me a little bit about what that means practically. So I'm a let's say I'm you know I'm I'm a single mom you know living in a in a poor city in Mississippi and I've got three kids and I'm working two jobs and you're telling me um, hey Jamal that's great and that feels good to hear it but it's easy for you to go on a hike this afternoon in the mountains behind your house because. You know, you're an author and a podcaster, and people are paying you money to to be creative. Um, I would love to live that way, but I have the realities of bills. What would you say to that mom in the context of what you're trying to to get people to understand in this book? That's a great question. You know, and I would first of all just say I I, I understand. And again, by when I say I understand, it doesn't mean I've been in exactly that person's shoes. You know, I've never been a single parent in that sense. I've never, you know, but I can say I understand what it's like to have the concerns of the world so pressing down um, on me that I feel like, gosh, I, there's no, I, I have all these ideas and I'll have all these things I would love to do, but I just don't have the time or the money. And you do have do kids, it. by the way, so you might want to yes. qualify that. <laughs> yes, I have a daughter and uh, she's grown up now <laughs> and uh, she has kids of her own. 
Barnes. That makes me a grandfather, which is crazy because I'd still like to think of myself as being younger. But anyway, with that, but I've been there. I've been in those places where um, it's very, very, very difficult. And um, and I so I get that. But I would say this to a person who would say that to me. He would say, yeah, it's easy for you to say, look at what you get to do. But I would say that's not where that's not been. My journey didn't start here. It started in the place where, where where this lady would be in that sense of feeling pressed, coming to a place where it's like I don't see a way out of this. Um, that's where my journey began, and I think that's what when Jesus speaks in Matthew six, he's talking to people who don't have it figured out. He's saying, "Hey, look," he's telling the disciples, "Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear." Well, guess what? They weren't rich. They had all the same problems. But where does it? Where does the breakthrough start? So for me, I can just speak to it in my own life. Where the breakthrough happened was, is when, um, in the place of tremendous stress, in the place of what is my life going to be about? Am I going to keep running this hamster wheel? Just survival. And I had to come to a place where I was. I had to say, okay, it hasn't been my experience that life is plentiful. However, I know that there's. I, I've, I've heard, I've seen it, I've seen other people talk about this, and I, and I had to trust, I had to come to a place where it's like, but I trust that what my experience is, is not all there is. Mm. There there could be, and I would tell people this, hey, just because it hasn't been your experience so far doesn't mean this is, ha- that's, this is the way it has to be for you for the rest of your life. There can be a shift, and I would just call people back to the words of Jesus, it doesn't have to be so with you. Mm. So I came to a place in my life in the midst of not having time or money to, I came to the conclusion that my life was not going to be leveraged for time and money. It's just not, I'm not going to give my life away so I can Mm. leverage more money so that I could continue paying the bills and do it all over again. I'm going to be about something higher. I just committed to that. The other thing I would tell people as well is to, I would say when you are, and this is a very practical thing, when you are living in a place of high stress, when you're stressed out and anxious about paying the bills, and this is a lot of what I talk about in my coaching work with people, when you're when you're under when when you're in the fight or flight response, which is a very physiological response, it, the fight or flight response is our our bodies were designed to be in this a fraction of the time. I mean, because it's, it's a very, it's a very toxic place to be in when you're in fight or flight evolutionary. I mean, speaking from an evolutionary standpoint, that was necessary to keep us alive. I mean, you run into a wild animal and you have to get into, you know, flight or flight response to survive. But the, the, uh, the adrenal, the adrenaline that, that gets pumped into your system, the stress hormones, cortisol, and all of the, the, the ramifications of those, of those, um, chemicals, um, are meant to divert all your resources to the immediate moment of fighting off an, an enemy or an attacker, but it takes away resources from creativity, from um, from healing, uh, even phys- phys- physically. With uh, when it comes to like just having your body, you know, healed of uh, your immune system, all these different things that you need to to move into a healthy state. All those resources are devoted are are, are, are redirected away from those things to simply surviving when you're in a high stress fight or flight response. So I always tell people if there's a creative solution to your problem, you're not going to figure it out there. Like you're simply not going to figure it out. It's amazing. I really believe that most people can get out of everything is solvable. I always tell people mm. that every every problem you have is there is a number one. There's a solution to it. 
And number two, it's probably pretty simple. And I know that can make people mad when they hear that. They go, "What are you? Are you kidding me? Like, I can't think of. I can, there's no solution to this problem. I've, I've beat my head against the wall, racked my brain trying to figure this out. There's no solution. But the reason they don't discover the solution is because they're in a high, high fight or flight response and under under the stress state. So the first thing that's needed is to get out of that. And so there there are modalities. There's things that you can do <clears throat> to get out of. You have to de-excite your nervous system, get to that place of rest where you're where you're actually at a place of peace and rest internally. And I I'm blown away, and I and I discover this in my coaching work. I'm blown away at when people get out of the the problem they're in, or they get out of the the the, the place of stress and anxiety, that they're able to solve the problems that they're in almost almost I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely easy. They, they come up with some inspired thought, some solution. It breaks them out of this pattern of suffering, and it leads them into an area that, you know, six months, a year later, they're going, I can't even believe I'm here. And I'm like, yeah, but you did it. You got out of it. But the, but the reason you got out of it is because you – and you don't get out of it by focusing on the problem. The more you focus on the problem, the more, the more you feel trapped by it. So you have to, like – you have to literally take your eyes off of that problem and get it in another place where you can begin to de-excite your nervous system to come to this place of rest and peace. And then the, all the, the source for everything you need, the creative solutions, it's already within you. Like, where is God? You know, we consider God all-knowing, omniscient. But where is this God? This God is at the core of your being. And if you, if you will regain access, awareness to that place Every creative solution you need to get yourself out of the mess will flow to you, and it works. But again, first things first is how do you get out of this fight-or-flight response? Most people are, are living under the illusion that I need something externally to change before mm-hmm. I can actually start to feel better, and that, that's, that's never good. how it works. Yeah, one of the things you say in the book, which I love, Jamal, um, you talk a lot about inspiration. And, and, it, and it plays into what you're just saying is once you can get out of this uh, hyper fight or flight uh, environment that we're that we are like indoctrinated, especially in America, like that is supposedly a good thing. Like you hear, you hear people like I'm up at 4 a.m. and I'm grinding it out. And if you want to be successful, you need to grind it out, too. And that that just and we teach our kids it's like work really hard and go to college and get that great job, and we just keep indoctrinating and indoctrinating. And one of the things uh, I believe it's in like chapter six that I was that I was reading a few days ago. You're talking about when you talk you you were talking to a friend of yours who was an accomplished songwriter, and you 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 asked what the meaning of the word inspiration where does it come from. And you're expecting, you know, some kind of long explanation. And I love this. He said, inspiration is simply noticing what you notice. Um, Man, that's good. Talk Mm. about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it blew me away when he said it to me. And he said, yeah, it's just simply it's simply noticing what you notice because we all notice things. We all we all go about our daily life and, you know, things stick out to us. But we're not because we're so distracted and I would say we're distracted by survival, all, all the t- concerns of paying the bills that we, we almost don't, we, we notice it at one level, but then we just overlook it as like, ah, oh, well that's, you know, you know, it just kind of like it becomes something that's un- unimportant, but people who live inspired 
are people who take profound notice. I, and sometimes they're, they're called synchronicities. You know, um, Carl Jung, he's a protege of Sigmund Freud, but he kind of differed um, and went into a new direction of, of psychology by, by really developing the concept of synchronicity. And this mm-hmm. is the idea that synchro- synchronicity is they're kind of these portals to, uh, to what's really happening behind the scenes, kind of this inspired life. So there, there's miraculous things going on all the time, and they happen right in front of us. But, but yeah, it almost happened, like Jesus would say, he who has eyes to see, let him see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I believe this is speaking to this essence of synchronicity, mm-hmm. of what is really going on right here. So this this artist, he basically said, you know, um, you know, if maybe you're standing in line at a at a coffee shop and you notice somebody and you know which we all do, but then it's he said it's about taking a moment to step back internally and say, okay, wait, I'm noticing that person. Why? What is it about this person that I'm noticing? And you'll just make discoveries. Mm. I believe if you ask the right questions, you get the right answers. Why does this matter to me? You know, what is it about this scene? Or you know, you see, I recently watched a video of this uh, guy who had gotten out of prison and spent 20 years in prison and he's been out for a couple of years and he's just loving life. And he, he was walking down the street and he noticed, he just saw out of the corner of his eye. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on, but he just saw this older man teaching a younger boy in the middle of the ghetto where it was very dangerous. Um, he was teaching, he was just taking some time to like this older man to like to spend some time on a playground with this little boy. And he was teaching him karate and this man who'd been in prison for you know over 20 years or you know he was he, he filmed it. he said i gotta i gotta film this he said I'm, and then he was speaking as he's filming he said I, I decided to film this scene because this is what i needed as a little boy i needed an older man to to, to notice me and to teach me principles and he goes and i actually had that example there was a guy who taught me karate and he made a difference in my life i didn't listen to him when i was younger but I, his lessons still come back to me and i just love that i'm watching this this older man teach this younger boy in the middle of what a lot of people would see as just a bunch of crime and violence it's like this is where it's at this right here and he was inspired by what he was seeing and he took a time he took some time to just notice that and to um and of course that brought brought him into a good state and also he was able and this guy has a quite a large following on instagram and he was able to you know show you know several million people this scene here that it's just something going on in the, in the back alley somewhere and um you know in a, in a very difficult part of town and it's so this is how the world changes of course it's noticing what you notice it's beauty it's um it's calling attention to that which is transcendent and that to me is i mean and and that's what god that's the work of god in the world this is how you bring in a new world this is how you make a new earth so to speak Mm. um is is by calling attention to what is the divine doing and god is always working i mean god is there's never a point where and jesus said that my father is always working so therefore i'm always working but then at the same time jesus said my yoke is easy my burden is light so we're not talking about backbreaking um, a work that sucks the life and energy out of you. We're talking about, we're talking about uh, the work that actually brings life, brings joy, brings value, um, and brings a new perspective into the world. And God is always doing that if we can see that. So inspiration is the ability. Um, and I actually have another friend that would say that um, consciousness, basically it's becoming conscious, but consciousness is simply God's awareness that's entrusted to you. So when you become conscious of something, you are aware of God's, I mean, that is God. 
That is the awareness. Mm. And um, even you're when mindful, like, what you're saying is you're mindful of observing what is really going on and how things are connected. And I can, I can attest to this because, you know, you put it so well is when you're in that flight or fight or that high adrenal functioning, you're not taking the time to be mindful of, you know, you're either on your iPhone or you're going to the next meeting or you're stressed out at home with your kid. And you don't have time to sit and watch a bumblebee on a flower for five minutes and really think about what's really going on here. What? How has this flower tricked this bumblebee into pollinating itself? And how has the bumblebee, you know, partnered with the flower in in getting this substance that he then converts back into honey that we use to heal our bodies in certain ways and to sweeten the food we make? What a beautiful symbiosis of God working. And if we would take the time to be mindful of a bumblebee and a flower. Um, It also reminds me of Thomas Edison. I don't remember the exact number, but he said, you know, he had 900 prototypes of the light bulb before he got it to work. And he said, Mm -hmm. well, you had you failed 900 times. He said, no. I just I just came to realize 899 things that weren't a light bulb, and one of them that's was. Right. Um, that's right. That's the same thing, right? It, it totally is. And you know, um, it's about it's all about perspective. So I actually heard somebody say that you can't make a mistake in life. It's all it's all research and development. Mm. So it's this idea of like, yeah, you like Thomas Edison said, yeah, I've, research and development. I, I learned 899 ways that the light bulb didn't work and that led me to the one way it did but it's mm-hmm. uh there you know it's not a waste yeah it's um, not a failure mm-hmm. it's not at all it's all it's all all of life is a discovery including the mistakes quote unquote mistakes the hard things there it's all a teacher for us and if we can embrace that that's when we we begin to transcend you know and and to really get to the essence of what we're doing and why we're here um which is, yeah. goes way beyond survival yeah, you have a chapter where you talk about the. It's called the prison, and you talk about how one of your jobs out of high school was literally in a prison, but it became a metaphor for other areas of your life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Right out of high school, um, I uh, ended up becoming a, a corrections officer, and uh, which was, I mean, a whole ordeal in itself. But I worked. For, I worked in a prison, a state state penitentiary for four and a half years and it did it became a metaphor i hated that job with the passion and the reason i took the job is because i was a new dad and uh, i had just been recently married i was it was i needed and i and i had gotten out of high school i really didn't have at that point in my life i really didn't uh have a clear sense of direction and so you know i'm i needed to pay the bills and so um my you know we had some family connections that pulled some strings that got me uh, to get an interview, and I ended up getting hired as a corrections officer. And literally eight hours a day, I was in prison, um, obviously working as a corrections officer. But the, the money was good, the benefits was really good, and uh, I just remember getting to a point where I was just, I was like, this is, um, this is, this is. I, I, I have the sense of this is uh, my life is about so much more than trading my time for a paycheck. Even though I needed that paycheck, I needed those benefits, but being locked in a prison simply to take money for so i could get money seemed to be a metaphor of like wow this is what life seems like it is for so many people regardless of where you work if you're 
if this isn't why, and, and there was nothing about that job. There was only one thing about that job that I loved, and that was getting to hear people's stories. And and I, again, with, with, in hindsight, I could look back and say, okay, somebody could get into that line of work um, because they're passionate about helping people. Um, they're passionate about, you know, working with prisoners because they're at the, you know, very low place in their life and hearing their stories and helping them, you know, shift their perspective. That's beautiful. And I, I actually did experience a bit of that while I was working in the prison, but that's not why I was there. I mean, I was there for the paycheck and it made it very much a prison. So, uh, it became an analogy. Yeah. For, for this entire concept, because how much of us, I mean, how much of the world we are taught literally to leverage our life away for a paycheck. And that is, in my opinion, uh, the essence of what it means to, to be in prison, to not, to not, to be a slave, mm. uh, to not, to not, um, to not be in control of your life. And, um, I really believe that we are here to be in control of the life because that life has been entrusted to us. We're a steward of our own life. So I always find it fascinating that one of the fruits of the spirit in the scripture talks about is self control. Um, and it's really having control over the self. Mm. Um, and, uh, in a prison you have zero control. <laughs> I mean, uh, for the most part, your life is, it belongs to an institution that tells you pretty much what to do, uh, at every moment of your day. So, this honestly is the experience of the economy of of what most people are living out, and they're trying to escape that through vacation and weekend experiences. But they just hate what they do. And I watched my parents live that way. I mean, my mother hated her job so bad, she said that sometimes she would just throw up before she went to work. She was nauseous in the oh. morning. She hated her job, but it paid. It paid good. It paid well enough to keep her doing it for thirty years. And I committed when I saw that. I will. I will not live that way. Even though I appreciated her sacrifice, this is not going to be the way I live. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about, I know you spent some time, you went to, to, to Liberty University, you studied ministry, you, were, you became a pastor, you planted a church. And, and, and I know that, that that's not your life right now anymore. Talk to mm-hmm. me, we don't have to go into detail about that transition, but you know, your life you know, growing up a very young father and everything that you went through um, has brought you to where you are today, which is a very, seems like a very peaceful, beautiful, productive, creative, uh, life-giving existence. Um, it wasn't all the, always that way. Talk to me about your journey through religion. Mm, that's, a, that's a great question. Well, there's a lot of layers to that. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of my uh, drive into you know, traditional ministry, so to speak, as, as a to become a pastor was really a, a drive for me to want to please God, and that came from a drive that I had as a child to want to please my dad, which I never felt like I could. Mm. And so, this whole idea is that you know God wants us to leverage our life for God's purposes and to do great things for God. The motto I think at, at my university was, you know, be a champion for Christ, do great things for God, and we heard, you know we'd have all these celebrities that celebrity preachers that would they kind of you know put out for us to look at and to say you know look you know look what they did and and i wanted to make somebody proud too i wanted to make god proud i wanted to um do great things but it really was it spoke to my own need to want to feel significant which i believe is one of the six essential human needs i talk about in the book that all people need to feel significant but i didn't feel significant in and of myself so i had to go get it and that was that was the the suffering that I had, and so I I literally turned that into um, ministry. I was going to, you know, do this great work for God and 
it's going to make a lot of people proud of me and God was going to be proud of me. And then I realized that that doesn't, you know, that no matter how hard you work, um, it's never enough. And so I, I went down that road f- for a while until I discovered, and then I, I the, the shift, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't overnight, but the perspective shift was, you know, the very thing I said I wasn't going to build, the religious machine I, I, I said I wouldn't do, I ended up building that. And so after a few years of that, I felt utterly dismayed because I thought, wow, this is, I set out to, to start my own church. I thought I was, you know, we're going to, the church that we're going to create is going to be completely different than what I've seen. We're going to solve all the problems because can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the leader, so there's no one else to blame. So I, I can create the culture I want. And at the end of the day, I ended up creating the very thing I said I wasn't going to, going to build. It was just another religious machine in my opinion. And, um, I discovered long story short, I discovered that I didn't really need to do any good work for God. And cause I really, the, the perspective shift came when God really showed me was actually you're the good work. Like you don't need to do a good work for me. You are the good work. Your life, your essence is what it's about. And that was such a mind blowing shift for me to realize. So then I had to think, well, if I'm the good work, then you mean just me, my life, my, my essence. Yeah. Just you, just who you are. You're enough. Like even if you did nothing with your life, you would be, you would be, the most significant person on the planet and by the most significant doesn't mean more than anyone else but you would still be the most significant person on the planet because there's no other you it's just who you are and there's a place i always tell people there's a huge difference um in working for significance and working from it Mm. so when you work from significance it's an inherent knowing that you are your uniqueness who you are is enough um, and, and, and really that place of rest that you have nothing to prove you've, you've already made it you've arrived you know, a lot of people are trying to make it just so they can get to a place where they say oh I've arrived you know I've, I've, and when you, re- when you start to realize no I've actually already made it I'm here right now like this is enough then that place you, you really get to a place of intense rest and peace internally which then puts you in touch with oh so so, so if I'm not if I'm not trying to make it and prove myself to the world, what am I here for? And that's when you start to read. That's when you start to tap into love, and you start to to realize, oh, I, I get to do what I'm passionate about. I get to do what brings me joy, and what brings me joy. People say, well, that's, isn't that very selfish focus? Well, yeah, but there's no separation. Like we are connected to everybody else in the world. And a lot of people don't realize that, but everything we do or say affects everybody in the world. So when you work from joy, you affect everybody. Mm. So we, we need more people to work from joy, to do what they love, because when they're doing that, they're and the, and the only thing that's really going to bring us the highest amount of joy is when we when we see that we are we are literally manifesting our own inherent significance and we're affecting the world for good. If, if we could see how powerful we are just by being who we are, mm. um, that would just that would absolutely bring us so much joy. And we would love. There's no pressure. It's just you get to be you, and you get to do exactly what you're here to do, and that's enough. Uh, you have nothing to prove, and um, and and it's 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 literally like this is a playground. I know that sounds crazy, but I honestly believe that's this is a playground if we will perceive it that way. Um, our yoke can be easy and my, our burden can be really light like Jesus was Jesus and you know I don't I, a lot of people paint Jesus as very burdened you know kind of this 
angry, burdened, depending on what your religious background is. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think he did suffer for sure, but um, but his yoke was easy. His burden was light. Mm. This is somebody who who enjoyed life and who loved liberating people to live the life he was living. Um, yeah, that's, 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 that's so good. That's so good. What? How? How can people get a hold of your book? How can they learn more? Because I know that that you know, there's no way we could do this all of this content justice in, in, in the short hour we've been here. What are some outlets that people can learn more about this? And and I know that people listening probably have lots of questions for you. How how can they hear more about it? How can they get in touch with you? How can they get the book? All that good stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I would I would encourage people to get get a copy of um, Living for a Living, and you can get that on Amazon. Uh, I always direct people there. It's available through Barnes and Noble, um, and but but Amazon's probably the best place to get it. And again, I wrote the book not to just put all these ideas out there in a you know in a, in a very abstract way, but I wanted the book to be a very real snapshot into my own life because this has not been an overnight journey for me. And I talk about some, some examples from my own life in this book about how this transition happened, because no matter where you are, you know, um, this is not, you have to be where you are in the journey. And so, um, so I wrote the book to be very practical for folks to, how can I transition from an economy of just simply surviving to an economy where I'm literally living uh, for a living and, and and living from the place of love and profound unconcern with survival. So again, this is not an overnight process. It was not seamless for me. It will not be seamless for you, but I would encourage you to read the book so that it can give you, I think you'll, it, it's a practical tool for you to help start making that transition. So I would encourage people to read the book. Um, also, uh, you know, what part of my work is, um, I, um, I'm a life coach and I, I, be, I mean, I'm biased, but <laughs> I believe that, uh, all the greatest athletes have coaches for a reason. So whether you're not, and even folks that are at the top of their field, no matter what the profession is, they all talk about having coaches or mentors or somebody that helps them. And so I believe because we're all in the game of life, so to speak, I know that's a cliche, but still it's true. We're all in the game of life. Who doesn't need a coach? So a coach, all a coach is in the traditional sense of the word, the, the, um, the word coach comes from the time period before modern transportation, when somebody would want to go on a trip, they would hire a coach and a coach would help them drive them, drive the horse and buggy to help them go where they need to go. And that's why even today in transportation, we have coach, coach buses and travel coach. It's a mo- it's a means of transportation. So you're, we're all headed somewhere. We're all on a journey. So if, if you feel stuck or feel like, man, I could be, I could, I could benefit from having that coach, someone from the outside to kind of help me take this journey, you know, discover maybe where I'm getting stuck, what are some of the roadblocks I keep hitting. I would encourage you to to get a coach for your life. Um, and, and that's there are a lot of good, great coaches out there. And that's what I do, obviously. So I have a website called free to love coaching.com where someone can just visit that site and and um, and they can reach out if they would like some more information about that. There's an ability to do that on that website. And, um, you know, I have, I have a couple podcasts. I have the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, which is not for everybody. If the Heretic Happy Hour podcast is, you know, it's really a centered around. I'm one of three co-hosts uh, that are on that podcast. And uh, it it's really talks a lot about spiritual deconstruction, reconstruction, that kind of thing. So if that's your thing, if you're deconstructing from, from uh, religion in that sense, um, uh, then I would recommend you to go to that podcast and check those. There's like 50 episodes up there now, and we have some great interviews, and that could be helpful for you in your journey. Because I really believe coming out of, I believe so much of 
a lot of what traditional Christianity does to people is it limits them from moving forward um, on their journey, and their spiritual journey. And um, and so that, that podcast is really designed to help people um, in that journey. And I have my own personal podcast called The Love Cast. Um, and uh, that's, uh, that's, you know, really more my own personal uh, podcast where I talk about coaching kind of things. I have different interviews on there and there's, there's a number of episodes. I think there's 80 some episodes on there. So um, yeah, yeah, those are all resources. People can find me on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And I, I've enjoyed uh, getting to know you. I love your book and I'm going to obviously continue to recommend it for, to everyone that I come in contact with. Uh, My good friend also, um, Bobby Downs is one of your endorsers on the back of this book too. So, oh, Bobby, yes, yes, he's a love Bobby. I got to meet him out uh, here at Capiar has a uh, we do like live shows every every quarter or so, and he came to one of those, and we got to meet him, and he's been such a such a delight. Yeah, he lives here in Franklin now, as a matter of fact, here in Nashville. That's so. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jamal. Uh, blessing to you and your family. And um, I know that people will will certainly want to get in contact with you and read your book. And, and I just want to say thank you. And I appreciate you for not only uh, the journey that you've been through and, and where you've come, but also being willing to, to really share that and give hope to people. Because I think hope is a thing that, that's in short supply today. Uh, and when you give up on hope, you, you really give up on life. So that that's what I got out of this book is there's a lot of things I got, but at the end of it, it's a very hopeful book. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. It's been an honor. And thank you for your, for your, for hosting this conversation and for all the work you do as well. It, uh, it is making a difference. So thank you. Thanks awesome. for having me. Thanks, Jamal. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.